Now, I should note that our Joe Homebuyer franchisees don't exclusively wholesale. We keep properties as rentals. Some of them, that's entirely their focus. Others are very much into rehabs. Others are wholesalers or a hybrid of all, all of the exit strategies. We go in with the intention to buy the property and then to exhaust efforts to determine the highest and best, most profitable uh, exit on any one transaction. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on Mark Stubler. Mark is the founder of Joe Homebuyer, which is a real estate investing franchise that provides a blueprint to purchasing deeply discounted properties to, and helping home buyers out of their challenging situation. After growing his business into the multi-million dollar range, he is now on a mission to help others do the same. His approach to sales, negotiation, and closing deals is the foundation of his success. And today we're going to learn some of his tips and tricks on how to do that. So I'm just going to stop there and say, Mark, Welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. No, thank you. I'm excited to have this conversation and uh, love uh, the topic of ice cream. So we're going to have a fun time. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with ice cream. So what's your favorite ice cream? Okay. So I'm going to break the rule right off the bat. I can't be the first uh, person that's done this, but it's not a flavor. It's it's a package. So I've got to have, I'm I'm actually okay with a good vanilla, okay. but I have to have a brownie, bananas, hot fudge, and uh, you've got to put some whipped cream on there with some almond slices, just the thin, thin slices. You get the little extra crunch. You add that, that's a touch of heaven right there. Man, that is a very specific ice cream. And normally I ask people if they like toppings, you just went straight for it and named them all. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, I might've just improved some of your listeners' lives. You follow those instructions, you'll do just fine on your next endeavor uh, with your ice cream treat. So. I love it. I love it. And I like the brownie at the bottom because it keeps it a little bit hard and it gives you that taste. Oh, so good. So good. Love it. Love it. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? So I am a franchisor. Joe Homebuyer is a home buying franchise. And we have franchisees all across the country that provide the service of helping homeowners get out of their distressed uh, living situation. They might have inherited a, a distressed property or their home's distressed or both or all of the above in terms of distressed situation or just distressed uh, home. But uh, our franchise and our franchisees are uh, across the country providing real value to homeowners and helping them exit their properties efficiently and, and uh, strategically so they can get as much for their properties uh, as possible, but mainly put them on a path to surviving and thriving uh, outside of the, the nature of this, the distressed nature of their property. Yeah, I love it. And before we get there, you didn't start in real estate. Can you take us back to where did your, where did your journey begin here? So I just have a sales background, right? And, uh, and, and honestly, I don't know if I'm the best salesman, but what I can tell you is I was just one of those guys that just worked really hard, like I, super ambitious. I just feel fortunate that, you know, cause I have four sisters growing up and uh, my parents were fantastic uh, providers and, and of opportunity. But if I wanted anything, I just had to go create it, right? If I wanted to get on a sports team, I just had to like get the info myself. What frustrated me as a kid, it ended up being a pretty fortunate and, and bless, a blessing for me because it required me to just be in, have some uh, ingenuity and, and hard work and, and creativity to, to get stuff done. Well, anyway, that translated well into sales. So I had a sales career selling fencing and decking of all things, nothing to do with real estate. And again, I might not have been the best looking or the best talker or 
Uh, but what I could say is I, I gave myself more swings of the bat because I was just aggressive, hardworking, consistent. I was disciplined in my efforts. And so I, I experienced a fair amount of success with a really good company for 10 years and uh, felt fortunate to be a part of the group. But I, I had that bug inside me that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I would dabble with things in e-commerce business, a couple of rentals, you know, things in real estate. Nothing ever really stuck until... Uh, you know, I, I kind of got compelled to become an entrepreneur that I can, I can elaborate on if it makes sense later on the show here, but a salesman working for a great company and the product I was pushing was fencing and decking products. And yeah. uh, that's, that's my early uh, uh, business career. Yeah, I love it. And sales is one of those things. So most of our listeners know I'm in sales too. And it's one of those things where you have a goal, you can put a plan in place. And really, if you have the right effort behind it, you can get rewarded tremendously for your effort because so really, really knows as long as you keep getting no's, you're on your path to your first yes or your next yes. Um, so that's one of the things I absolutely love about sales. I have done a little bit of research on your background, and I do think your story is a little bit compelling on how you were um, shifted from that role into the franchising. Could you talk to us a little bit about what happened there and, and why you decided to make a change? Yeah, I'm happy to share. So I have to tell you, the people I worked with were fantastic, but they made a boneheaded move. They took us in outside sales reps and say, hey, you have to come in once a week into the office and be an inside sales guy for four to six hours. And for whatever reason, it was like... Um, how do I describe it? It was, it was just a, uh, I realized immediately that I wasn't as autonomous as I thought. I set my own schedule. I went to my own appointments. I was really flexible in my day to day. And for some reason that one ask and pivot, they really moved my cheese when they said, Oh, by the way, you have to come in. So instead of going out and soliciting these great opportunities, you know, these big projects of thousands of dollars, they said, Oh, Hey, come in, save us a little bit of money, be an hourly rate type employee making, you know, what somebody could do for 10 hour dollars an hour type thing. We want you to take a, a fraction of your week to do it. And it was just enough to say, wow, I don't work for myself. I don't have complete control of what I want to do. And I'm obviously not getting all the upside from all the value that I'm creating, which I shouldn't, I was an employee, uh, but it was just enough of, uh, of an epiphany that I realized my journey to get on my own, uh, I needed to be fast tracked. And so I, I, uh, literally set dates of I have to be doing something. Now I was on a little bit of a, which probably a lot of us are guilty of. I was living up to the standard that I had created from a, you know, an income perspective. I don't know how to articulate it better than that, but I was spending the money. I saved a little bit. Uh, I wasn't in debt by any means, but I wasn't all, I mean, I, as I made more money, I enjoyed nicer things. You know, we had a, a, I have a nice home and, and boat and we have four kids. And so, you know, all those things equal expenses, right? So I had to uh, get creative. I had to stash away some cash. I had to sell my boat. I had to put renters in my basement, which my wife was thrilled about. Uh, but I needed to basically be a squirrel and kind of like, like get resourceful for the winter just in case it took me a minute to, to thrive on my own as an entrepreneur. And luckily, I found an industry that I just feel so fortunate to have found, and that is real estate. With obviously concerted effort, and it's not easy but it really is quite simple. You can make incredible returns in real estate. And I, that's when I jumped into wholesaling and uh, made some profits pretty immediately, was able to replace my income in just a matter of months. And uh, I promised my kids I'd buy them a boat a year later. And sure enough, we sold it, but I was able to get a new boat within about a year. That for us is a pretty big deal. Uh, but uh, that's my story of how I, I, uh, I just felt compelled to, you know, that, that bug of becoming an entrepreneur was fed 
when my cheese was moved just enough and I realized, no, 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 that I need to get on my own. So I've got, I mean, I, I've been dying to kind of ask this question. So a lot of people there in 2020 had similar experiences. Their cheese was moved, whether it was forcefully and they had to stay in their home or unforcefully. And they all of a sudden were terminated from their job or their job shows, uh, scope changed or anything like that. Clearly you felt that need to make a change, but it's, it's a lot more difficult than just making the change. And there's probably a lot of conversations that had to be had with wife's kids, things like that. Talk us through what your mind frame was there and how you were able to get over the hump and kind of take that leap. That's a little bit scary. I, yeah, I was terrified. And actually I'll tell you a principle that I had to do or, or a, a practice that I had to, that I heard from somebody. I wish I could tell you where I heard it, but I literally had to pull out these note cards. I'm an analytical type mind. I, I, I can worry about things. If I'm not careful, I can overthink things. So it was not something that was super comfortable to me, but I could do math. I knew how much I had in savings. I knew what my burn rate was going to be. I knew that if I sold my boat and if I put renters in the basement, my liabilities. So I, obviously I, I didn't throw caution at the wind type thing. I, I was strategic about it, but then I did with this one thing that really helped me uh, with all that planning. I realized that I was having these doubts, these fears of becoming an entrepreneur. Can I do it? Can I duplicate some of the uh, results I've seen other people have is, you know, maybe I'm a good salesman. I've been a great salesman, but does it translate in this other industry? I mean, all these fears and, and unknowns, I actually pulled out a, a note card and somewhere I heard this and I wrote down all the things that would have to happen negatively before I was willing to quit because I already had these ideas in the back of my mind. Like, well, if it doesn't work, like what's my reach, you know, how do I, um, you know, salvage this and how do I bounce back? And so I had to put these, like these things that really just shouldn't be able to happen. But for me, it was things like I have to be X amount in debt. And I don't even remember what it was at the time. I actually looked for it, Matt, the other day and I couldn't find it. Uh, now this has been a few months ago, I, but I couldn't locate this card. I must've thrown it away, but I wrote down things like, all right, I have to be this much in debt. I have to have been rejected by in the real estate world. You meet, you meet with uh, homeowners to negotiate contracts. So I, I wrote that down. I said, I have to be rejected by 50 homeowners and say that they're not going to sell me their house. And I wrote down these things that, um, you know, basically said, I can't even invest one minute into this idea that it's not going to succeed or that, you know, that I'm going to back out or that I'm not going to persevere until all these horrible things have happened. Luckily I lost the list and the rest is history. And I was able to get on the right track, but that helped me to really write down that I'm not investing one ounce of effort into the negative until the worst of the worst has occurred. Yeah, no, I like that. Cause again, I think a lot of folks are kind of reevaluating. We're in the middle of what's known as the great resignation, right? Where a lot of folks are kind of leaving their jobs and going on to try different pastures and things like that. And I think that's great if it's best for you, your career, your family and all that sort of stuff. But I think there should be some rationale and logic behind it. So I'm glad to hear that you found a process to help you get there. Um, I want to shift this now. So Joe Homebuyer is a wholesaling franchise. Uh, let's dig in here a little bit. And first, let's just start off at the high level. Tell our listeners, what is wholesaling? Wholesaling is the practice of putting a property under contract with a homeowner, just like you would in any other real estate transaction. You sit down, you settle on a price, you put a purchase, an official purchase agreement together. And the wholesale process is the ability to then sell that contract, that right to buy the property to the end buyer. And you're just, you're just basically the, the matchmaker. You put the purchase agreement together, you find the end buyer and you make a fee by connecting them. And it's done by assigning the contract to an end buyer. Now I shouldn't note that our Joe homebuyer franchisees don't exclusively wholesale. We keep properties as rentals. Some of them, that's entirely their focus. Others are very much into rehabs. 
Others are wholesalers or a hybrid of all of the exit strategies. We go in with the intention to buy the property and then to exhaust efforts to determine the highest and best, most profitable uh, exit on any one transaction. But specifically wholesaling, that's the process. And it's a great way to get involved in real estate because it doesn't require you to buy the property and it doesn't require you to have you know, the risk of, you know, the funds and all those things that are required when you secure property through being the purchaser, you're actually assigning the, the contract to a different purchaser and, and able to collect a fee. Yeah. I think wholesaling, um, is the least riskiest, highest return way to get involved in real estate. Now with that comes a ton of sweat equity. You're like, you're just not going to have people banging on your door trying to sell you their distressed property. But with a couple hundred dollars or even just a cell phone, you can start door knocking and put together and find deals and, and really have a huge upside return. What are you seeing? So from an assignment fee, so you get a deal under contract for $100,000 and then you'll throw an assignment fee on there and sell it to another investor who might rehab it. What are you typically seeing those fees be just to put this in context for folks? Yeah, they range significantly, but that those fees are, are can be very rewarding. You know, in in smaller markets, they may be as little as five thousand dollars, but your cost to get that it should be relatively insignificant. On some of these more competitive markets, uh, where real estate's booming and they're very, um, you know, the real estate is is hard to find. You know, we've seen. Um, well, I have to be very careful as a franchise or promising or any type of return, but you'll see anywhere from five percent just across the wholesale world in general, not specific to franchising anywhere from 5,000 to 50,000 um, in terms of, of revenue on an individual transaction. Um, but generally speaking, uh, when the revenue is higher, the cost to secure a, a contract is also higher in terms of the, the amount of uh, marketing expense that, that you would expect. Yep. Yep. I would agree with that. Um, so I like to say that too, wholesaling is simple, but it's not easy. How are you out there finding your distressed buyers today? And then I want to get into like, why would a distressed buyer go this route versus putting it on the market? But how are you finding your distressed buyers today? Yeah, great question. We actually have four major marketing channels that our uh, franchisees um, become experts at. And uh, through our system, we actually help each of them within their markets employ these efforts so that they become first a celebrity in their market. So that's one of the marketing strategies is they become a resource to other people trying to wholesale, other buyers, other uh, cash investors, uh, other real estate professionals. They become a resource because we help them become the foremost authority, both with their the quantity of, of active buyers, as well as their um, education level as to different strategies to maximize profits on a, on a transaction. So one of those is just becoming a celebrity in the market and becoming a resource for other um, parties in the industry through joint venture agreements and partnering on projects. And then you have the, the standard uh, web. Web is a fantastic way to find distressed sellers. They seek you out. Uh, we, we have some incredible professionals that help us become very relevant and capture real estate on the web so that uh, we are a resource to people that want to sell their home and they seek you know, a solution by typing in cash for my home or whatever online. Then we have a very proactive approach through uh, prospecting, which might be as simple as door knocking, as you mentioned. It could be outbound calling within the confines of doing that correctly, as well as um, direct mail and making sure that we're soliciting people that could benefit from our service through different forms of, of postage, whether it be a postcard or, or letter. But we use all, we employ all four marketing channels. And again, it's, it's becoming a celebrity through, um, you know, teaming up with people in your industry, becoming a resource for them, web, direct mail and prospecting efforts. And you combine those, our franchisees are, we're really excited about the results that they're getting, the trajectories of their business, 
And that's what Joe Homebuyer is, is we actually help our franchisees implement these strategies, utilize the years of experience in, uh, that we have so that we can put them on the right track as efficiently as possible. That's it. I think I, I so I bought properties from wholesalers before and I tried to ah. venture down this route a little bit. And I can tell you right now, it's a lot more sweat equity than if you're a, a, an active, it is an active job. It is an active profession, right? It is. But what I love about what your model is, is that you're buying into those mistakes that you've made along the way, right? Uh, there's text that you can drop voicemails onto people's phones. You can text people, you can direct mail, you can become a, a celebrity in your market and things like that. And one of the things I love about franchising is that you're, you're buying, you're not building. And to build along the way, sure, you get your own spin on it, but you're going to go through your own failures anyways. So you might as well just buy someone else's experience that's gone through that and can tell you around the corners or see around the corners of mistakes they've already been made. Yeah. Have you? Yeah, can, can you tell us some of the, the mistakes maybe you made as you were kind of getting into this business and, and some of the things that you've learned? Yeah. I mean, there's endless, right? I mean, I've been doing this for, we've done hundreds and hundreds of transactions, actually approaching uh, over a thousand now uh, of transactions. So we've made every mistake you can imagine, but one that stands out or a couple that stand out is in the early days, you know, we would uh, put a house under contract and we weren't super strategic about uh, exiting the property with, uh, you know, utilizing the principles of what's the highest and best, you know, opportunity from this one, you know, this transaction, we would just kind of take the path of least resistance. We left hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table because we put it under contract and we didn't utilize a, a very scientific method to determine, should we keep this one as a rental? Is there upside long-term as an Airbnb or as a, you know, something that we could use to then 1031 later? Uh, could we use this as a rehab or is this really the best thing to do to wholesale it? And what's the best way to get the highest offer from our, from our buyers? And so we just learned a tremendous amount after losing, you know, not maybe losing, but having the education of realizing we need to have a very strategic process to maximize revenue on these transactions. So that's something that we've learned over the years that obviously we, we have a very systematic way of approaching so that we're capturing the best results from any opportunity. And that's a culture obviously now within the organization and the franchisees is, you know, every opportunity you have to exhaust efforts to make sure that you're capturing uh, the highest yield, you're yielding the best return on your efforts. Yeah. And I think that's, as I've done my research, kind of preparing for this interview, one of the best things I've heard you talk about really is this idea that um, a lot of wholesalers out there are only concerned about that assignment fee and not creating really long-term wealth. They're just doing transactions, which is great, right? It's a way to put money in your pocket that maybe you can go do different things with later. But I like this idea of, okay, I now control the asset. What do I really want to do with it? Do I want to sell it? Do I want to short-term rental it? Do I want to rehab it, fix and flip it and things like that? So I love that you you prioritize that for your franchisees as well as uh, uh, the things that you're teaching them. Um, I also want to talk about this idea of a collaborative sale versus a win at all costs. So again, most folks know that I'm in sales and I believe that sales is really just solving problems for folks. You have a set of solutions that. that solves a problem for customers. Your goal is to find the customers that need that solution rather than trying to sell a solution to a customer that doesn't need it. Can you talk to us a little bit about like, you've got a distressed home buyer, they, they need to get out of a situation. How do you take that approach in, in those conversations with your uh, prospective sellers? Yeah, I appreciate that question. So our mission at Joe Homebuyer is improving lives by delivering creative real estate solutions. It actually can be one of the most enjoyable aspects of the entire business. Um, you know, it's fun to see new franchisees come on and they really are attracted to that way of doing business. And the reason it's, it's attractive is because it's within all of us to provide real value to people. It's one of the most satisfying things we can do is know that we have a service that we're providing, 
you keep your commitments. And it's just so rewarding to see the service that we provide, provide so much benefit. And that's not because you did it for free. You can make a tremendous amount of profit on a transaction, but you know that you relieved them. You kept your commitments. You provided them a solution to their complex situation. But we have endless stories and examples of times where we're sitting down with sellers and you know, they need cash within you know, five to 10 days. Then they need to live in the home three to six weeks afterwards. They also don't want to have to clean it out. And, uh, and they may even have something unique like, oh, and by the way, um, I don't know what to do with all these cats. Like, can you help us? You know, and you, you become a, a professional um, at finding homes for cats or whatever it is in the spirit of like, hey, we're just sitting down with the seller. We become friends. We, you know, not friends in the sense that we're going to send each other Christmas cards, but they trust that I'm going to keep my commitments. We're going to work together. We're going to put um, a plan together that's favorable and, and it's going to be unique to them. Not one family that we work with has the exact same solution. Um, and obviously the common theme is a fair price. We settle on a number that represents the, you know, what they think is fair for uh, the value that we're providing. They ultimately decided what that is. We have a very strategic way of when we're sitting down with the seller, we put out what we're offering after fully understanding this, the needs that they have, what, to your point, solving their problems. And then ultimately they're deciding, all right, I value it at this. We structure a deal and then it's a lot of fun fulfilling it by any number of uh, ways to make sure that they're in a better position to fulfill our mission that they really, their life has been impacted positively through our transaction. Yeah. And I, I love that idea of being creative with solutions too, right? I mean, money is not everything. Sometimes they might need a hotel room. Sometimes they just might need to move. Sometimes, hey, someone in the family passed away and they know that this house is going to need some work. And that's what I tell people when they say, well, why wouldn't they sell it on the open market and put it on the MLS, the real estate market's hot and all that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, first of all, when you start calculating realtor fees, that's one thing, but also the hassle of having to repaint, having to clean, having to get out the garbage, having to do all these little things. If you're in a distressed situation, then that's not the top thing that you're thinking about. Sometimes you're just thinking about, this is the most valuable asset that I own. I want to make sure I get a fair price and not screw it over, but I don't want to deal with all the headache of having to deal with that. So I love that you all teach that. Yeah, no, it's been really fun to see our franchisees adopt it and to attract franchisees that buy into that and they're willing to operate their businesses uh, using that same model. Yep. Yep. So um, you, you were very successful in building a whole, wholesale business. And then essentially you started this franchising model. Talk to our listeners about like, what have you learned through this franchising and how you're building this out? Yeah, so much. Uh, you know, in fact, that's maybe one of the more enjoyable things is it's an ongoing journey of learning. And, and you know, sometimes I get a little bit uh, weighed down by like, wow, we have a, you know, so much to do to just get this built out perfectly. And the truth is I have to be reminded like any of us with any big project or any endeavor that it's very much a journey, not a destination. Like in five years from now, sure, Joe Homebuyer is going to be that much more polished. Our franchisees are going to have that many more resources. But at the end of the day, all along the way, I'm learning, they're learning, and we're thriving and, and thriving in the sense that we're, we're, we're growing and progressing. And uh, that's all that can be asked. So uh, to take things in stride, I guess, is one of the things I'm learning is, you know, I'm very you know, my, as people, it's becoming very popular. People are assessing people's behaviors through these different softwares and things. And I'm becoming a student of one myself, trying to figure out what makes me tick and what makes some of our franchisees tick. And I'm on the impatient side of uh, what makes me tick. And so oftentimes I'm impatient with myself or with my business results or that type of thing, which is good, right? It can be a blessing in the sense that it's driving me to get things done. I have to tell you that it's been 
really a gift in the sense that it keeps me moving. At the same time, I have to keep things in stride, you know, make sure that I'm very clear on where I'm going. With that clarity, then I can be intentional about my activities. And those two things work in harmony so that I don't get overwhelmed by it or, or discouraged. But taking things in stride has been a lesson that I've learned uh, as a business owner, for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned the personality test. Um, I would assume as you've gone from being a sales professional to being a sales professional that owns a company to now helping others be a franchisor or, or basically be an entrepreneur themselves and watching their struggles along the way, you really have to develop as a leader. And I'm, I'm really keen on leadership and learning how to be a better leader every single day. Um, can you talk us through, are, are there any books that you recommend or anything that you're reading or, or resources that you've had that help, have helped you become that better leader from individual contributor to leader of businesses? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. So I've been a, a, a pretty big fan of John Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Um, a book that I have here on my desk is Developing the Leader Within You. That's one. 20, I think it's uh, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership is another yep. one. Yep. There's a few that I've read. And the truth is, leadership to me, uh, and Jim Rohn, for example, he uh, you know, is famous for saying, if you, want to, um, if you want to do more or accomplish more, you have to become more. And I think I, sh- I botched that a little bit, but it's this idea that, you know, your potential is only equivalent to what you become individually. Right. Um, and I think we could all resonate with that. Even if I didn't say it, articulate it perfectly, it's just this idea that, that as we develop, uh, develop as leaders, not only do we become more, we see the world differently. We focus on the right activities. We, uh, but we also attract, you know, people that otherwise we wouldn't have attracted. I'm convinced that, uh, a lot of our success, both with on the franchise world and some of the franchisees. I mean, I feel so complimented to tell you the lineup of some of our franchisees, the industry they came from, the business success that they've had to see some of our franchisees. I mean, we have everybody from this is their first business to this is their 10th business. Um, But it's a compliment to have the professionals uh, that we have attracted to the Joe Homebuyer opportunity. And I just have to believe that, you know, if I was not individually invested in my own growth, developing my mind, developing who I am, that I wouldn't have the success. And then locally in our own business operation, we've attracted some of the best salespeople. Um, and I believe that wholeheartedly. We've attracted some incredible talent, um, incredible leaders within our own, you know, our immediate organization uh, because we've uh, uh, on a journey, right? And, and, and we've been able to see eye to eye with others that are progressing, others that are becoming better leaders. And, and it just seems like those, those things kind of attract each other as, uh, as you develop. So John Maxwell is one that if I can put a plug out there, I would say become a student of his leadership uh, content. It's incredible. Yeah, I agree. And even if you're not a reader, just some of the YouTube videos and the, the keynotes that he gives and the conversations that he gives, it's really all about investing in people and leaving them better than you found them. And I, uh, I had something at work today where um, somebody left my team. Um, they actually resigned and went to a different competitor. And I was just trying to be so gracious on the way out. And they stopped me and asked me about that. And I'm just saying like, hey, this isn't the last role that I am ever going to have in my career or in my life. And I think you're a very talented individual. I want you to go off, have success because eventually I'll, I'll do greater things. And I want to be able to have those networks out there of people I can call upon to do the next mission that I have in my oh, life. Wow. And so I think, um, you know, as, as you become a better leader, if you leave people better than you found them, ultimately you attract better people. Cause that person will go tell other folks that you did them the right way. Oh, that's beautiful. I love yeah. that. And that's, yeah. that's John Maxwell one-on-one right there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I want to switch us now, Mark, to the, the last round here. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, 
What's your favorite book or what's a book that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? You know, this one, another one is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. It's yep. the second time I've read it. And I, I'm pretty slow because there's so much content in there. I, it, I'm not trying to read through it quickly. That's pretty good, man. That book is, it helps my mindset uh, see things from a different perspective. I've been pretty grateful for that book lately. Are, are you a stoic at all? I don't know that I am, but it, it's, I must be at some level because it, it speaks to me at a high level. And yeah. I get that I've had other people tell me that they just don't like the book very much, but I must be at some level because it, um, it definitely resonates with me. I found these like little stoic meditations on YouTube that I'll listen to as I'm getting ready in the morning, preparing my coffee, oh. doing my stretches and things like that. And it's so valuable. Yeah, look at that. Changes your mindset going into the day. And yeah, I, I definitely love that you call that Ryan Holiday because he produces a lot of good stuff like that. Um, our next one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the things that you do every single day and the habits that you have and the routines. What is something that you do every single day? So I, I do, I'm a pretty spiritual individual. Um, and I say that modestly, cause I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if that in of itself, um, um, war, you know, I, I don't know what that says to listeners when they hear that, but I try to be spiritual. It's maybe the better way to articulate that this idea that I do believe in a greater power. I do believe connecting with the greater power, uh, through, uh, reflection, gratitude, prayer, um, and then study. I do uh, study scripture for me, that gets me to, um, the higher level of who Mark Stubler is, is uh, having a spiritual element. Um, I also have a great responsibility to be a good uh, father and husband. I've been married for 18 years. My wife is really a, a very much an opposite of me, but she has the strengths that maybe I'm weak. She's patient where I'm impatient, right? Uh, uh, and, you know, just as one example, um, and I have one boy and three girls, and I very much believe that, you know, I have a responsibility to, um, provide an opportunity uh, so that they can be contributors and, uh, you know, bless the lives of others. And obviously it doesn't always work out perfectly, even if we're great parents, but I feel like I at least have a responsibility to build an infrastructure, a home, a refuge from the world, you know, that type of thing. And so when I am at my best every day, I have a healthy dose, you know, 20, 30 minutes where I'm doing some of those things. Oftentimes, if I can do more, even better. Uh, but that's one thing that I, I definitely notice a difference when I'm, uh, Connect, uh, connecting with my creator um, and have that spiritual element as part of my uh, routine. Absolutely. And that can come in many different forms. So for those of folks out there that are listening, there's some form that you can do that every single day. So I love that. That's right. Um, our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? You know, I've been struggling with this because I knew that that was going to be your question. And uh, you know, my dad actually just sat down with me when I had kind of a, it was actually not too long ago. I had kind of a big presentation that I was making and, and I was worked up a little bit, didn't, you know, regular nerves type thing. And this is so elementary, but it, it, for whatever reason, it spoke so strongly to me. Um, he just, he just invited me to just take a step back and say, you know, basically just say, do you believe in yourself? And um, that again, as elementary as that is, um, I realized that I need to make sure that I'm always in a position that I'm believing in myself. And it's a powerful thing um, because when we're moving and shaking, staying busy, all that type of thing, uh, we can have these, uh, you know, bad, you know, bad self-talk or negative self-talk or whatever it is. And I've, I've found that as I, you know, take a step back and say, Hey, I, I believe I can do it. And I uh, believe in myself. I, I don't know if you saw, uh, uh, is it Stetson Bennett or something, the Georgia quarterback, he just won the um, national championship for Georgia. Yep. I'm not a Georgia fan. Um, but 
it was interesting at the end of his interview this week. Um, he, he was an underdog. I believe he was a transfer. And even when he got to Georgia appeared the, the high recruits had replaced him a few times. Well, here now he is as the winner of the national championship against an incredible Alabama team. And he's being interviewed and he says, I believed I was the best. I believed I, our team was the best, but it was really interesting for me to him. He had this mindset of, although all these things didn't go in his favor, he had to keep on working. He had to continue to prove himself. He had this mindset, you know, I, I believe in myself. So that was uh, probably a longer answer than you, you hope for, but it's this idea that my dad recently had, you, you just got to believe in yourself. And it's interesting how it's something as elementary as that can have such a big impact. No, I love it. And fathers have this unique way of phrasing things to your, to you right. uh, at certain points in your life to just help you overcome things. So I'm glad that it, uh, it came from a, a good messenger as well. Right. Um, our fourth one is what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? My family, man, that's an easy one. Hey, I, I don't even have to elaborate too much on that one. I have four beautiful kids and, and a wonderful wife, and we have a lot of fun together. We try to create some memories and uh, definitely most proud of uh, just a healthy family. Feel fortunate as well. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, our fifth one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Man, there's so much on that. You've got to tell me, um, if, if I answer this, you got to tell me yours and you probably, your listeners probably already know this about you, but <laughs> no, I've never answered the question actually. Will you please? Uh, that, all right. So dead or alive. I didn't expect the dead part uh, to come up. Um, I was thinking originally John Maxwell, because I, I'm so much on a journey right now from a, a leadership perspective, but you go back to some of the historical figures, uh, generals and armies, as well as, um, you know, presidents of the United States. George Washington, some of the decisions that Lincoln made and some of those things. I don't know. I, I'm going to be vague. I'm not even going to give you an answer. I just mentioned three or four, but any one of those could be just absolutely incredible. But leadership would be on my mind. Like, how do they lead in such uh, challenging times? Yeah, we're going to be very aligned with this answer then, because my three would be Nelson Mandela, Lincoln, and then MLK, um, just because... Oh, wow. All of them at certain points had a mission that they were very clear about. They knew they wanted to achieve. MLK had to adjust his strategy several times to work towards achieving it. Abraham Lincoln and Nelson Mandela both uh, uh, were in a very politically divided environment and took rivals who tried to take them down and brought them under their fold and in, into leadership spots, into their wow. organizations wow. and said, Hey, if we're ever going to overcome this divide, we got to sit at the same table and I'm not going to agree with everything you say, but I've got to hear your voice because you speak for a lot of people that I'm not speaking to. And I need to understand that. So I think those would be my three right there, but it would all be, I would try to get as much leadership knowledge from them as I could, because those people led incredible movements in difficult times. And I just don't know how you do it. I love it, man. That is, uh, that's well said. And, and you made me want to become a, a better student of some of these leaders as well. So that's awesome. Yep. Yep. Well, Mark, fantastic conversation. I love what you guys are doing over there. If our listeners wanted to reach out, learn more about what you're doing and, and connect with you, where's the best place we could send them? Please. I'd love to, it'd be fun to connect with any listeners that uh, are captivated by getting into real estate. Um, even if you don't end up becoming a Joe Homebuyer, it'd be fun to cross paths, but Joe Homebuyer franchising.com. Yeah. You can definitely find us there. If you want to learn specifically about franchising or about Joe Homebuyer, it's joehomebuyerfranchising.com. Perfect. And we'll leave a link in the description for every, everybody to uh, get that. And Mark, fantastic conversation. I uh, appreciate you being on. Hey, good man. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.